This morning, we bring the book of Ecclesiastes to a close. Uh, But before we get started, I want to kind of get a feel as to the age of our church. Uh, I recently read that the life expectancy of those living in the U.S. is 78, um, or 76, excuse me. And so those of you who are 38 years old, you're at midlife. Uh, You look a little more healthier, so I'm going to kind of divide things, I think, around 40. Uh, But first, what I want to do is uh, those who are in your teens or 20s, if you would stand. Yes, it's the generation that's not going to church. Uh, uh, No, stay standing. If you are in your 30s, if you would stand. Okay, all right, y'all can sit down. So y'all have not reached midlife yet. Uh, Those of you who are in your 50s or older, if you're able to, I invite you to please stand. If they need assistance, those around, you would help them. I love it how everybody says there's no one over 50 here. For one, I just want you to look and see, and also all up in the balcony. Uh, If you're in your 40s, if you would also stand. (laughs) Try not to pull a muscle. Okay, you can can sit down. Uh, Now, now for those of you who are midlife or older, everything that we're about to go over uh, for the next 30 minutes or so is going to deeply resonate with you. Um, you're going to be like, amen, uh-huh. I mean, it's going to deeply resonate uh, for you. But for those of you who are younger, you're going to have to listen to this podcast 20 years from now and think, why didn't I listen to that during this time? Spare yourself the pain. Listen now to what Solomon has to say about life as we get older. Uh, if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Ecclesiastes um, chapter 10. Let me grab the worship guide. Sorry, Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and 12. And we're going to be working through it verse by verse. But let me pray for us as we get started. Father, I ask that uh, during this time, as we open up your word, you'll be so kind as to speak to us. That we would hear from you, not hear from me. Write your words on our hearts, that we might be able to enjoy you all our lives. So I pray that my words would fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered anymore. But Lord, may your words remain and may they change us. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to begin in chapter 11, verse Seven. And once again, I'm just going to kind of walk through verse by verse and see what the preacher, uh, preacher remembers the word Ecclesiastes, what the preacher has to say to us. Verse seven, light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Uh, here Solomon is saying that not every day uh, in the life we live underneath the sun is, is hot and full of toil. There are some days that are just really pleasant. Uh, I'm picturing, you know, it's a, a fall day, low humidity, maybe a high temperature of 70 degrees. Solomon's in his convertible, you know, just driving. There's, 
There's no work drama happening. There's no relational drama happening. He's probably just on his way to meet some friends and to watch a game. And life is just good. And we've all had some days like this. No worries, just enjoying the moment. Uh, but then Solomon needs to remind you that this is the book of Ecclesiastes. And so that's about all the good he's going to give you. And now he's, he's going to bring it down. Verse 8. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is hevel. Solomon says, yes, today, enjoy it. Today, life is sweet. Today, Georgia just won two national championships. But dark days are coming. It's not always going to be that way. Uh, in front of us is this life full of hevel. But notice that he tells us to rejoice in every year. So we're to rejoice in the good years, and we're to rejoice in the dark years to come. Rejoice in the light, rejoice in the darkness. He kind of sounds like the Apostle Paul, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. His point is no matter what comes our way, we are a joyful people. In other words, don't always be planning for your happiness, but never actually happy. Or are you one of those people who always says how you can't wait for something? You just, you just can't wait for this. I can't wait until we have this. I can't wait to enjoy this. And you're always so future-oriented, you don't get to enjoy the present. You can't wait until you have a car. And then you can't wait until you graduate. And then you can't wait until you get married. And then you can't wait until you get to go to the beach. Then you can't wait until you get to move into your new house. And then you can't wait until you get that promotion. You can't wait until you retire. And because you are always planning for a future happiness, it's inevitable that you will never actually be happy. If you cannot rejoice in the small things now... You will not be able to rejoice in anything, big or small, in the future. Because you don't achieve joy. You don't work towards joy. Joy is something you receive. You receive from God every moment of your life. Uh, Lauren and I, we, a few years ago, we got to go up to California. And we, uh, we spent a day in the wine country there. Then we were like, you know, one of those obnoxious people who always comes back from that and they like hold up bottles of wine like they know what they're looking at, you know. Yeah, yeah, I have no idea. Uh, but we brought back a really nice bottle of wine. By nice, it was $35. <laughs> it's the nicest we have ever bought. And uh, we keep saving it for the special occasion. Saving it for, the, for, you know, for some event that is going to be worthy of like, yes, that's when we're, that's, that's we're going to drink this. We're waiting for that future happiness. I'm telling my wife in the next service, we're popping that thing open this week. <laughs> we're enjoying the moment, the present moment that God has given us to live. This theme of, of joy and rejoicing is going to go into Solomon's final conclusion that he's going to give us of all of life. 
Here it is. We've been building all the way to this for 11 chapters now. Verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So Solomon's conclusion here is that while you are young, you should rejoice. And then he tells us to follow our hearts. Walk in the way of your heart. Follow your hearts. Uh, do, do you see or hear the incredible freedom that's there in Solomon's word for us? I mean, often we, we fret over every little decision we have to make in life. Does God want me to do this? Does God want me to do this? We fret over every little thing. And Solomon, he releases us of that. He says, what do you want to do? Do it. What looks good for you to do? Do it. Don't always be talking about what you want to do or just thinking about what you want to do. Go and do it. Now, of course, Solomon, he assumes here that you are following the Lord and that you have his word in your heart. He's going to get to that later. But first, I just want you to hear the incredible freedom. Just relish that freedom that Solomon lays before us in how we can live. He says, God's given you a heart. He's given you eyes. What looks good to you? Do it. So enjoy the life that God has given you, but, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Like, It sounds like, I don't know about you, but it sounds like, you know, Solomon's kind of, you know, pulling a son aside. It's like, hey, I want you to have fun at Dega this weekend. I want you to just go, I mean, you just have fun, have a blast, enjoy your friends, but hear me, don't have too much fun. Doesn't it sound like what he's saying? Hey, just have, have fun, but not too much fun. Remember, God's watching. That's not what Solomon's saying here. Not at all. He's, he's not saying, I want you to, you know, go party, but don't party. Like his, not at all. His theme here has been joy. His commandment here has been to enjoy or to be joyful. What he's getting at is your enjoyment of this world is how you will be judged. Did you enjoy it? That's your judgment. And remember, joy is not only permitted by God, it is commanded by God. Rejoice. So when you stand before God, he's going to ask you, did you enjoy the life I gave you or not? There's your judgment. One of the commentators I read said, ignore pleasure at your own peril. For failure to enjoy is not merely an oversight, it is an offense. Grumpiness is a sin. So we'll be judged by whether we truly enjoyed this life or not. And here's the deal. We will not enjoy this life if Jesus is not the center of it. We will not enjoy this life if we look to the things themselves 
to satisfy us. If we treat things as gods instead of gifts from God. If you always have to have more of something or if you absolutely have to have something in order to be happy, then just know that you will never be happy. If you think you have to have money to be happy, you'll never have enough money. If you think you have to have sex to be happy, no, you'll never have enough sex. If you have to achieve great things to be happy, you will never achieve enough. You can only truly enjoy those things when you don't have to have those things. When you don't put, have to put too much weight in those things, something that they cannot carry. That's why Jesuit's going to be, did you enjoy it? In other words, did you make me the center of your life? And when I was the center of the life, you were able to enjoy these gifts as just gifts and not treat them as God's. So this is why joy is what we will be judged for. Verse 10. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity or hevel. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Uh, most of you likely, if you have your Bibles, you have a little footnote in your Bible that says the word that's translated as pain there in verse 10 is actually the Hebrew word for evil. You are to put away evil from your bodies. What Solomon is doing here, he is speaking to those of us here who are at the, the dawn of their life, those early years, and he says, hey, while you are young, Go ahead and deal with that sin that needs to be dealt with. Deal with it now before it takes root. Repent now before it grows anymore. Your dumb decisions you make now are going to have massive repercussions 30 years from now. So if you struggle with body image now or pornography or treating a girl with respect, or using shopping as a form of therapy, or letting social media fuel envy and dissatisfaction in you, Solomon is saying repent of those things now because those things do not go away on their own. They only grow on their own. They're just going to keep growing and growing if left unchecked. And that little secret sin that you have that you keep feeding from time to time, it's going to become a monster later. Get rid of that evil now. The reason that pain and evil here are the same Hebrew word is because if you do not remove that evil from your life now, it's going to cause a lot of pain later. I did college ministry for eight years before becoming pastor at this church. And one of the things I've noticed is that we all deal with the same issues. College students, adults have the same issues. Same relational issues, same struggles with anger or with gossip or with lust, same sins. However, the consequences are massive as you get older. You sleep around in college, 
there's consequences. It's a terrible thing. There will be some pain there. If older you sleep around, if you're married and you have kids, it's devastating. This is with all the sins. The consequences as you get older are greater. Solomon's trying to spare you of that pain. Deal with it now. Don't let this this thing take a hold of your life. If you remove this evil now, then you get to enjoy all of life ahead. Remember your creator. Remember that there is a God who created you. He created you, this beautiful world that you live in. And if you want to have a life that is filled with joy, live it according to his design. He's pleading with those who are younger here not to make the same mistakes that he made, but to make Christ the foundation of their life now. And then Solomon, he's going to transition here to what life ahead is going to look like. He he actually ends his thoughts with a poem on aging. Uh, and this poem, it's, it's fairly long. It's eight verses long. But actually in Hebrew, it's just one sentence. And the point is this. If you say it as one sentence at the end, you are completely out of breath. Your breath is gone. And that's his point in writing it this way. As it moves us towards the end of life. So start verse 1. He says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come. And years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. The sad truth is here that if you live long enough, there's going to come a time in which there are very few pleasures left for you to enjoy if there are any. We've all know people who have aged and gotten older. Maybe it's your parents. You spend your life squeezing in doctor visits in between the funerals of your friends. There's going to come a day in which you wake up and you're disappointed. Because there's no pleasure for you in that day. Verse 2. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened. And the clouds return after rain. Solomon says that growing old is like losing daylight. Storm clouds, they come in and they block the sun. And then when the storm finally uh, goes away, immediately another storm hits. It's just cloud after cloud. In other words, your back, when it's hurt, when it finally heals, your knee hurts. When your knee finally heals, your hip hurts. When your hip finally heals, your neck hurts, but it never, ever goes away. It's just thing after thing after thing. Verse 3. In the days when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent. Here Solomon is going to change his metaphor from a storm to that of a house and those who live in it. And here the image is one of arms and legs beginning to tremble. You have a hard time as you age doing simple tasks like buttoning your shirt, pouring your coffee. Putting on your pants in the morning becomes a major chore. I already know that's how I'm going out of this world. 
It's going it's to be on some morning, right? I can't touch my knees in the morning. Honest to truth, I can't touch my knees. It takes a while. And so as I'm trying to get dressed, it is a catastrophe waiting to happen. I'm going to fall someday, hit my, hit my head. It's going to be an embarrassing way to go. And you're all going to remember, he actually said that from the pulpit. <laughs> but things like that become a major chore. He says, and the grinders cease because they are few. What are the grinders? Your teeth. As you get older, you lose your teeth. And those who look through the windows are dimmed. What are the windows? Your eyesight. You get cataracts. Your eyesight dims. You can't read the menu at restaurants. You can't read the worship guide in front of you right now. You no longer like to drive at night. My kids, they gave me these yellow glasses to wear at night. I'm actually tempted. (laughs) Verse 4, And the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low. I'm not entirely sure what this is alluding to. Uh, Commentators are all over the place. It it could be uh, an allusion to one's mouth remaining shut as they lightly chew food with their few teeth. It could mean that they never go out to eat anymore. We're not really sure. Next, he says, one rises up at the sound of a bird. Sleep is going to become a real issue as you get older. Um, I like to picture sleep. Going to bed is like going to war. It's just going to hurt all night long. You, You just try to survive sleeping. Uh, I mean, you should see me as I'm getting ready for bed, and I'm only 50, but I'm stretching, I'm doing all this, and like, you're running a marathon? No, I'm just getting ready to, to lay down, like, <laughs> just trying to make it through the night, you know? It's hard to make it through the night. You can't. You wake up at the slightest sound. Solomon then says, and, and all the daughters of song are brought low, and here he's talking about losing your hearing. You no longer hear those beautiful sounds of life, that sweet conversation that you used to enjoy happening around the dinner table, it's now muted. Yet at the same time, everything is loud. All the music is loud, church music, loud. The car next to you at the the traffic light is playing their music way too loud, and yet you can't understand any of the words. It's just pure volume. Just, just volume in it. It hurts. Solomon's point in all of these things about aging here is to teach us that all of those joyful little things that make up living, the sights, the tastes, the sounds, all of them begin to fade. And you begin to find yourself in a world that you no longer are fully a part of. You're in it, but you're not really in it. This is God's way of preparing you for the next life, but withdrawing you from this one. As I was studying this poem this week, I kept thinking of a song I grew up singing, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And that line, the things of this world will grow strangely dim. The dimming of the hearing and of the sight, the taste, touch, it all begins to fade away. 
Verse 5. They are also afraid of what is high and terrors are in the way. Uh, this is his way of saying as, as you get older, everything becomes an obstacle to you. Walking on an uneven sidewalk is as difficult as trying to scale a wall. You're fearful to go outside because you think you might fall. The, the outside world just becomes scary. Uh, you become a person who prefers to watch the 4th of July fireworks on TV because you don't want to brave going outside to watch them. The almond tree blossoms. This is talking about your hair turning white. The grasshopper drags itself along. This little insect that used to be so light and just went around just like jumping, jumping, jumping. And I was just dragging. If I could relive my glory days before you, I used to be able to dunk the heck out of a basketball in high school and college. Like, I don't think you could slide a dollar bill under my feet if I were to jump right now. You just, you just cripple and drag along. Why? Because I just got older. It happens. And lastly, Solomon says, and desire fails. The word desire here is actually the name for a berry. It's a caper berry. And these berries, uh, back in Solomon's day, they were a, a stimulant and an aphrodisiac. In other words, he is saying this, a day is coming when no amount of Red Bulls, no amount of monster drinks, no amounts of Viagra are going to make any difference. Desire is going to fail. And then after desire fails, we die. He says, man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. And then he uses all of these images before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. All of those are just pictures of something beautiful or functional finally coming to an end. And now, an image that Solomon does not give us in this poem is one of dementia or of a mind that begins to deteriorate. Um, this was likely because back then, people's bodies failed way before their minds. Uh, people didn't live as long. Um, their bodies gave out. Now we're actually finding the opposite to be true. With our advances in healthcare and nutrition and fitness, people are living a lot longer. Their bodies are living a lot longer. But their minds will reach a point where things begin to fade, memories fade. There might even become a point where you cannot even recognize your own spouse. Verse 7. And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. From the dust we came, and to the dust we shall return. I know we, we live in a culture that prides itself on independence, that's self-sufficient and all of this, but know that your very own soul, your spirit, does not belong to you. It is on loan to you, but you have to return your spirit to God. 
And then the final words of the preacher are in verse 8. Hevel of hevel, says the preacher, all is hevel. Solomon ends his, his sermon with the exact same words that he began his sermon with. But aren't, don't you hear them a little differently now? I mean, after nine weeks, you're a different person as you hear these words again. Hevel, hevel, says the preacher. All is hevel. And this ends the words of the preacher, but doesn't end the book of Ecclesiastes. Now that anonymous author is going to step in, the one who compiled the teachings of the preacher, uh, and he's going to speak to us for just a few verses. Let's read verses 9 through 12. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying, and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight And uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of the making of many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. Uh, This father here, he's speaking to his son, And he says, all right, I let you listen to the preacher. Just know that his words were true. His words were true, and they were also full of delight. Now, you might be thinking, yeah, (laughs) delight and true. Uh, But then he says, well, at the same time, like, it also felt like you were being poked by a sharp stick. You're like, okay, I can resonate with that. It did feel like at times Solomon was just poking us with a stick, but they were words of delight and truth. They were designed to keep us moving in the right direction. And I know over the last nine weeks, you've you've felt pricked a little bit, but it's all been to move you a certain way, to move you towards a life of purpose and a life of joy. That's been his point. Can I just say that for those of you who are older, those who are in their second half of life, in your 40s, 50s, or more, You need to be like this father here, and you need to find ways to pass wisdom down to the younger generation to help them as they try to navigate through life. Ecclesiastes, it has given us wisdom for every stage of life, from youth to being old. But as any person who is older can tell you, there is no teacher like experience. You just can't learn some things. You just have to live some things. I mean, think of it this way. If all of you right now could go back to high school, you could go back to high school, I mean, with having a high school body, but carry with you all of your wisdom and experience of the years, do you know how easy high school would be? Do you know how easy walking through the halls of a junior high would be? If you could carry the wisdom of years with you back, I mean, all of that relational drama that you thought like that it was the end of the world, you'd be like, huh? The huge importance you put on like the game with your arch rival or the, like your whole life depended on this one test. Just think how you would go through life with those things now if you could walk through those halls again. There's no experience or there's no teacher like experience. We would just laugh at those things now. 
So those of you who are older, you need to be teaching from your experience to those who are younger. And I guess I need to add to that, those of you who are older and who love Jesus and who have been shaped by his word, you need to be pouring into those who are younger than you. And those of you who are younger, you need older people in your life. I mean, I remember when I just got married, I didn't have a clue about anything. Lauren didn't have a clue either. I mean, we just, we felt like fake adults. That's all you do. You're just faking it. You know, like maybe people are going to find us out. But what we did is we found this other couple that was just a few years ahead of us and we just grabbed on. Like, would you guide us? Would you just take us through? We have no idea how to do these things. We've been reading the like house mortgages for dummies. We've been reading, we, but we still don't get it. We're that low. And like, we, we just, we just grabbed people and they guided us through it. We just followed in their wake. Some of you are in the stage right now where, you know, you have young children and I watch you walk through these doors on a Sunday morning and you're just like dazed and confused, like you just woke up, but you've actually probably been up since three little spit up that's there. Like, I mean, you're just, you're here. Praise God you are here. You're just trying to survive. But you have no idea to do what you're trying to do. You have no idea because you have to live it to learn it. You have no idea what it's like to, to raise kids, to be a loving husband or a loving wife, to try to pay the bills, to keep making friends, to also have time to take care of your body while also reading your Bible and growing in spiritual knowledge. You seem like you're failing at everything. And sometimes all you need is just someone who's older to come alongside you and just say, you know what? It's going to be okay. And because you look at them and you see they've actually gone through it and they still have joy you're like, oh. so some of you are older. You, you need to come along. Some of so it's just it's going to be okay. Or, or maybe, hey, everything you're doing is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> what if you were to try this? You know, you know, maybe maybe you're that stick within the, you know the the nail, and you have to poke them a little. But speak truth into those who are younger than you. Build those friendships. And if you're younger, find someone who's older. Make them a part of your life. And I realize it's harder to build those friendships, to build those relationships. A phrase that keeps bouncing around in my head, uh, it's been bouncing around for weeks now as I've been thinking of this, uh, this poem, is that I want us to be a church where every age group fights for the other's joy. I want those of us who are younger to fight for the joy of those who are older. And I want those who are older to fight for the joy of those who are younger. I praise God for the way that we do our home groups. And it's not just you know, the same demographic all around, but we, we try to connect those who are older and who are younger. Take advantage of that. Fight for one another's joy. So here, finally, the author's final conclusion. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So the author's conclusion is the same as Solomon's. We kept asking the and, and, 
Well, he says, when you die and, yes, life continues, there's a judgment. You will stand before your creator and you will be judged for every deed, even the deeds that no one ever saw you do, even the deeds you just thought in your mind, you will be judged for. And what that means is everything matters. Remember, we started Ecclesiastes A possible title was, Nothing Matters. And he turns and goes, no, actually, everything matters. Every thought, every deed matters. And remember this, you might not be remembered for very long after you die. You're not going to be remembered by anyone under the sun. But everything you do will be remembered by God. You will be remembered by God. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. I actually love it, the translation I hate, because the word duty is not there. He actually just says, for this is the wholeness of man. You want to know what it's like to be a whole, complete person? Fear God, keep his commandments. Make Jesus the center of your life. You have eternity in your hearts. Nothing else can fill that hole in your heart. Only Jesus. You want to be whole? Make Jesus the center. Pray with me. Father, I pray that you would write these words deep on our hearts. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.